Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for the World Championships finale, the Women's Elite Road Race around the Glasgow circuit, the same circuit that the men did last weekend, which feels like a long time ago. We've had Matthew Van Der Poel <laughs> crashing in the mountain bike cross-country race yesterday, which I actually did watch. Uh, I, I thought I'd broaden my horizons. But today we're about this race, 156Ks from Loch Lomond. Uh, they do crow a road in the first 30Ks. That's the one, the longest climb of the race, 5Ks at 4%, 4.5%. Then that uh, five laps of that Glasgow technical circuit. No rain today was forecast for the last hour and a half. Didn't eventuate. And the main climbs on that circuit are Montrose Street, 200 meters at about 4%. And there's one called George, I think, which is pretty punchy. Uh, but there was any... Oh, there was more news. Sickness, Benji. Yeah, we had sickness. The likes of uh, Nivia Doma for Poland out. And Dygert also shame. out. So the entire Canyon camp was kind of devoured at this race, which is a real shame for the race because those were two riders that would likely have played a role in the final of this race, especially with the form they've been showing recently. And I would have loved to see Nivia Doma on this parkour. Like, yeah. he's kind of the Lippert-style rider. So those are out. And the peloton for the rest kind of stayed in similar fashion as we ventured to the start of today's race. And what I found intriguing before this race, we said it in the preview, was what would happen with the breakaway? Which teams would try to be involved? How Belgium and the Netherlands would respond to that? And that is something that immediately popped up the second race started because we had a rather strong breakaway. Blanca Vash, I think she was the one that actually orchestrated the entire event of the breakaway. She made the first attack. The likes of Labou following, Lizzie Dignan, Ashley Molman, and then the response of Belgium and the Netherlands was sending Sonic Kantz and Micha Bredewold into that attack, next to Elisa Shabby, already attacking in the first breakaway, and will eventually play a very big role in this race. But that breakaway, what did you think of the response of the Netherlands and Belgium? It's, uh, it reminded me of the Tour of Flanders breakaway where it was just Van Hooydonk in it for Jumbo Visma. And the, with like Mads Pedersen, Kasper Asger and all these hitters, it's like, it's great Bredevold's in there and Sanakant's in there, but, well, they're not going to win if this break gets too much of a leash. So it's a gamble. It's a gamble from Netherlands and Belgium that some other team, not uh, Switzerland, not France, South Africa's Norman's their main rider, but some other team will do that work and close it for them. And if they don't, that's what I wanted to wonder. What if that gap went to two minutes, two and a half minutes? Yeah. I wanted to see eventually the Belgium and Netherlands blink because that, that break is super strong. Like Diagnant, controversial Lizzie Diagnan, like she, you know, she hasn't been, she has been a pr back in good shape this year, like lots of podium positions actually in serious races, but you know, she can turn it on for the world championships or the big yeah. races. Um, and Mulman and Labou, like they're riders that can top 10 this race, Labou in particular. So I thought it was Especially a gamble. Especially with that move of that moves ahead, and then Crow Road is coming up. So the the bigger climate is in this race, which is very early in the race. So 
Whether that's going to have a major effect on the race, not sure, but it could have is, for example, if a, a Labou and the likes of a Molman push on that climb, then that break will get more of a gap on the chasers behind. But it was actually Italy because they were not involved in that breakaway. Germany also wasn't involved, but it was initially Italy that started chasing before Crow Road. And on Crow Road, they actually tried to bridge with Soraya Paladin. And that bridge kind of was a bit of a chasse-patat, let's be honest about it. So she was stuck in between and eventually she got caught because the Germans started pacing behind. And the Germans are doing that for Liana Lippert, who initially tried to follow the Paladin move, but then decided not to and just had her team pace. And this is where I do want to rant for one second about the U23 thing. So it's still the case that U23 world champion is being handed their jersey as a consequence of who of the first U23 rider in this race. In 2025, I think it's going to be a separate race. And this is the example now. Germany's riding with Niedermeyer, who is one of the riders that could win that U23 world champion, but instead is working for the team, while a Blanca Vash, who was in that breakaway, can ride for her own. So that's the unfairness of that aspect. But anyway, back to the race. Vash gets dropped from that breakaway, and the Germans are kind of bailing out Belgium and the Netherlands, right? Even though I feel like the Netherlands situation is better than Belgium, because Sonakondis not necessarily the best option there. Yeah, I think uh, it was an okay gamble. I think if you had Paladin in there and Italy wouldn't help, or if you had another team in there, the sort of from the minor teams or second tier teams, then you got a problem. Like if Poland were in there, say Nuviodome was behind and they got Skalniak Soika in, then you might have a big problem. But uh, yeah, I think Bauernfein and Niedermeyer, they're going to be best on their um on, on the climb and so Lippert using them even though it's so early um yeah it doesn't seem too bad to me because how useful can those really small climbers be on this punchy circuit i think it's better for Lippert that they just close it down and anyway the break actually gets brought back i thought this was really dangerous blank of ashes he said was dropped uh but she'd actually uh, you know, Daniel Rev was reading me before the race, the Eurosport uh, Hungary commentator saying I, I, I besmirched uh, Blanca Vash's name. Uh, she has actually had better results than I gave her credit for this season. Uh, she got dropped, but she actually came back a little bit later in the race um, for that U23 medal, I believe. Anyway, we get onto the circuits. It really calmed down after Crow Road. Breakaway kind of yeah. gave itself up. They realized the chase was so strong that they're like, oh, we'll just give it, kind of give it up. Even, <laughs> even like one of them, Mulman or someone or Labu, like went back to the peloton, and one, I think Labu punctured. So it's all back together. It's pretty much chills for maybe half an hour, Benji. Yeah, it is kind of well. Chills is a big thing because behind there were riders that dropped on Crow Road, the likes of a Vols, Fernando, and Persico that were still coming back, and they did in those first few moments on that circuit. But there were still moves happening in that peloton once those circuits started rolling up. And this is where the intrigue of tactical group dynamics comes into play, because how is Netherlands going to react to groups forming? Are they going to put some rider in it? Stuff like that. How is Belgium going to respond to that? Will they have the riders to do it? Because on paper, their team is not the, the almighty powerful team like the Netherlands is on paper. And the first attacks were once again the likes of Shabby. Shabby once again very active to get away the likes of Kopecky responding already with 92 kilometers to go. Henderson, who was really strong in this race, also right on it. Lippert, Volering, Persico, Brown. And what was clear is that Volering was just responding to Kopecky at this point in the race. And we saw Wibbers dropping off the bag, Bredewold having a mechanical. So the Dutch team was kind of 
becoming weaker throughout the first few phases, partially because some riders weren't good enough, partially because of mechanical issues, but the entire group behind came back again. But then the next attack comes, and there was an attack by Royster and Henderson. We didn't see the attack because the TV direction in this race has been absolutely brutal, and I just had to mention that. Like, they're missing so many active moments. They're showing the back of the race. They're showing injured riders by the side of the road for three minutes straight. It, it was kind of shameful, but that Royster and Henderson attack, I feel like that led to a bit of a, a stretching out of the groups, right? Because I swear there was a group two then with Paladin, Shabby, uh, Skalniak, Soika, Marcus, and Ludwig, and then group three was kind of up to Belgium to fix. Yeah, Kopecky already with 80, you know, plus case to go over two hours to go. She's having to work and monitor groups and never switch off because, yeah, Switzerland, super aggressive uh, yep. with Shabby and Royce. I think they actually rode quite a good race today or very good race, actually. And even the Netherlands are playing a little bit where they're like, okay, we'll put Marcus in that move. It's not the, she's not going to beat Ultra Ludwig, Shabby or Paladin, probably, but... She's up there. We're represented. So Kopecky's forced to do something. So I think they were... And this is where sort of the hero of the day comes in, Benji, which is... And I'll let you pronounce her name. But as we <laughs> said in the preview, the Belgian team is a little bit stronger than it maybe looks on paper uh, that compared to previous years with Van der Velde, Troyen, and the star of the day in a domestique role, Justine Altrair-Hekere. Pretty close, actually. Justine Hekere. She was uh, uh, really strong in I this race. It. Yeah, you basically got it, roughly. 90% there. We'll get you to there. In a month, you'll be a, an expert Belgian. But Van der Velde did some work early on. I feel like the, the real star in Belgium, like you said, was Justine Hekiere, because she truly worked a lot. And this was one of those moments. We mentioned it. Kopecky was doing some work, but they quickly switched to Hekiere going to the front and starting to pace again. And she actually closes that gap. And then we get another move. Henderson attacking. This is an interesting one to me, because... Kopecky actually counters with Persico in the wheel, and I was like, why is nobody else in this wheel? Where's Volring? Where's everybody else? And Kopecky looks over, and we eventually do see Marcus pacing the group behind, and there's not a major gap there. And I think Kopecky realized that there was no clear separation there, and that's why she stops that move. But at this point, I feel like she's riding a very similar race to, to how Vanderpool was doing in the men's race. No? Because... He was also pretty active at 75k to go, seeing... It, it's, it's eerie how similar they are. <laughs> it's actually eerie. Like, about two hours left, they do one big testing attack. Don't fully yeah. commit to it. See who's with them. See who won't who work with them. Stop. And then Kopecky kind of uses her teammates, lets the race play out then for another hour mm. after that. It's actually really similar how, how they rode this race. Uh Probably actually Kopecky even more impressive at the end, managing, um, managing the groups, frankly, because she was, yep. she was the, the A1 favorite before this race. And yeah, the, it was also unclear to me, like a lot of riders in this race, you'd see them get dropped, like Mel in trouble, like AVV or, yep. or like Blanca Vash. And you say, oh, they're done. They're done <laughs> for the day. And they'd come back and play a role an hour later. And it's almost like, some riders, AVV in particular, areas of this circuit really did not suit her. And so if an attack went and a split was formed just after a punchy hill, for example, she would have to then spend another half lap coming all the way back. And so she wasn't completely cooked. It's just this circuit really benefited some riders and parts of it more than... And I'd say, like, Royce, 
didn't really suit her this circuit and AVV. But, you know, they're strong. They come back. They play a role later. But then Shabby eventually, Kakira does her best shutting everything down. Eventually, Shabby gets away, Benji. Yep. And at one point, big gap, 130. Kakira's gone. Whose responsibility is this now? Because Netherlands weren't just putting Marcus on the front to close it down. Exactly. And they also had issues at that point. I feel like it was a very similar moment when Shabby went to the moment a few kilometers later, roughly 5k later, where the likes of AVV had a loose front wheel. You don't often see that in cycling, that a wheel is loose sometimes. We've we seen a dude, was it in the, in the junior race, where he was trying to get his wheel locked up again while he was cycling? That was insane. Fortunately for AVV, she chose a safer option stop, but the mechanic actually gave her a front wheel instead of giving her a new bike and that she had to stop again a few, a few minutes later and then had a proper bike change. But regardless of that, I'll skip forward, she actually comes back to the, to the group again. So that's what you're saying, not just, not just the bad moments, but also the mechanical moments where you're like, oh, she's out of it. There's no way she can come, come back from this. But then she comes back because... On one end, Shabby's going hard at the front, but Group 2's dynamic is also kind of looking at each other because Hikiera was still doing quite a bit of work, but at a certain point, once the gap was 30 seconds, 40 seconds, it started really being a moment of, okay, Hikiera, stop the work, let's see if another country takes control, and that's, that's when you say it went up to 125, 130, and there were attacks behind. There were moves behind, and I was thinking maybe Italy's going to start pacing because still five riders here. Maybe Netherlands will blink at some point because still four riders here. And it didn't really feel like that was initially the case until we got a switch. We got a switch at a certain point. Got to remind myself at what point it was. I feel like there was an attack of AVV after her return where Hekier was closing that. And a bit later after the attack failed, AVV started folding into a domestique role, together with the likes of Anandroy, together with the likes of Marcus, Hikiera, and together with Paladin. And that's the moment to me was roughly 40 kilometers to go where we truly saw that, yeah, this is the moment where collaboration is happening, right? Yeah, Netherlands were like, well, there's no bluff to call with Belgium. Like, we either chase or, or do something because Marcus had tried, Chaspertatted, and so AVV did start pacing, but then she attacked. As well, yep. then there was an attack a few kilometers later when the gap had come down a little bit. It was a little bit strange. Yep. And that puts a lot of pressure on uh, Kapeki because Volering's in Kapeki's wheel. Persico's with AVV. She'd probably work with AVV, to be honest. And Kapeki's having two with maybe, what is it, 14? Can I do maths? Two and a half laps left. She's getting rolled by the Netherlands. They're, well, Volering doesn't immediately counter, but AVV is putting her under pressure. There's then a strange attack, I think, from Royce uh, on one of the climbs, and then that stops. Yeah. I, don't, I thought that was a little bit odd, but... I think the, the vital moment that we're missing out right now is there was an AVV attack with roughly 33 kilometers to go where Kopecki responds by counter-attacking her. It was on that... There's this moment on the circuit where they're kind of like going into like a twisty bit a twisty narrow bit that goes slightly uphill that we've seen lots of attacks on during the Glasgow World Championships. And that's where AVV went with the likes of Persico. And Kopecki and Vollering kind of bridge to that, but Kopecki keeps going. And that's the moment where Kopecki and Vollering actually have a gap on the others for a bit. And Vollering was not working properly with Kopecki. She took over a tiny bit, but kind of that 
that pacing thing, knowing that Van Vleuten's behind. And I do feel like looking at this race so far, including this moment, that Volring and Van Vleuten were actually working together quite well. It's shocking. I didn't expect to say that. Don't you agree? Yeah, they were like playing off each other really well. And the lack of that in the final lap, I think would be important eventually. But yeah, they actually, the way AVV... I think sacrificed herself. She knew that she probably couldn't win. And the only way she could win was to go with these sacrificial attacks and maybe hope there's a complete stuff up in the chase behind. She's not going to win a sprint. So yeah, I think they did work really, really well together. And I was thinking, is Kopecky going to... Attack is the best form of defense. How long can she have attacks rolled on her? On her? It's not just going to be the Netherlands team. We've got... A very reduced group now. Shabby just ahead. Maybe she's yeah. like, she dangles. She The gap's down to maybe 20 seconds. And it's like one attack plus two riders working for a little bit is going to bring her <laughs> back. So they know that they can see her on some of the straights. And the group is down to Vollering with her teammate Van Vlerden, Kopecky on her own, Cecilia Utrecht Ludwig uh, from Denmark, Royce with her teammate Shabby ahead, Diagnan who was in the early days breakaway yep. and she's made this group and she's actually working a fair bit and Schweinberger uh, from Austria who came third in the, in the time trial. I don't think I'm missing, uh, missing Correct. anybody. And to be honest, apart from there's then a phase of about three quarters of a lap, maybe a full lap even where Volering doesn't go again after the AVV initial attack. Volering doesn't go maybe yep. one burst on one climb. Diagner rolls through, Ludwig accelerates on a couple of punches, everyone follows her, Schweinberg is pulling, Kopecky's yeah. rolling through. It, the cooperation for a lap or so was not bad. I feel like there was also an odd portion of that lap that felt like it was the majority cooperating with some attacks by Kopecky, like, strolled over it. Like, she tried on this hill a tiny bit, she tried there a tiny bit, but somehow they kept cooperating despite Kopecky subtly keeping up attacks every now and then, which... I found that intriguing and we, we really are coming to the moment where when that those Kopecky moves aren't really getting separation, that you're starting to wonder, okay, who's going to make the separation attack here? Because can Kopecky drop everybody? She looked strong so far. She was attacking every, every left and right section. But is Volring going to attack at some point? Is Alaiko von Vleuten going to attack at some point? Then... I swear there was an attack somewhere at this moment where Van Vleuten was kind of ahead for a bit, right? And the group had to kind of work their way back, following not cooperating in that sense. And once Van Vleuten was caught again, we came to 16 kilometers to go, where we saw a rather brutal attack by uh, the other Dutch woman, right? Yeah, following goes really hard. Kopecky had been bluffing, I think. Those two had been sitting at the back of the group a lot, just looking at each other, eyeballing each other. Uh, and even, yeah, the group was kind of stalling because Shabby was pretty cooked. Like, Shabby was really tired, and um, they were just holding the gap at 16 seconds to her, and yeah, big attack from Vollering. Kopecky's attacks, I think, had been really, before then, quite smart because she hadn't attacked on the climbs. She went in weird places, in, like, feed zones, in... Yeah. On the flat and forcing Volering to close her on the flat, I think hurts Volering more than attacking her on a climb where maybe Volering, you know, she got the watts per kilo advantage on longer climbs, obviously. But yeah, brings her back. Uh, well, Kabegi was never out of the wheel, frankly. Don't cooperate. Shabby's caught through that action. 
get to the final lap, everyone's rolling through, and like the default is you can't go the line with Kopecky for a sprint. If you're yep. Kopecky, there's no way you think you're going to be able to keep it together for a sprint. And so we're probably expecting a solo winner. Schweinberger had looked really, really strong. She was like going with moves of Ludwig on punchy climbs. I was wondering when she was going to counter. I was also the Royce Benji. I thought she'd go straight away when uh, Shabby was caught. She's been sitting on for, you know, over an hour. But yeah, they go through the finish line and there's an ADV mechanical. How much do you think that changed this final lap? I'll be honest, I think a lot of people will be mentioning it as a, a very big change for this final lap. But Van Vleuten had been actually off the back quite a few times on the last few. On the last Montrose Street, she was five meters off the back, she was dropping, and she only came back because the others started looking at each other. So it could have influenced, it could have given like a, a one-two rolling attack, but I don't think she would have been strong enough to, to make a decisive change to the outcome of this race at all. Probably not. I mean, they did stall afterwards, yep. so maybe she could have attacked again. But when we see what eventually happens, which is an attack from Diagnan and Schweinberger, no one, Kopecky and Vollering, eyeballing each other, just looking at each other, <laughs> looking at each other, looking at each other. They get to a flatter section. Royce bridges across. She gets separation. Still Kopecky and Vollering looking at each other. And then Kopecky launches super hard, gets separation, gets across to Royce. So those two start working together to close down Diagnan and Schweinberger, it looks like Vollering's completely cooked. Yeah. And she actually starts to crawl her way back bit by bit to that group of four in front. I thought they were, I thought Ludwig and Vollering were, and Shabby, I think, was probably maybe still there with them. Yeah. I thought they were out of the medals. And um, she, she, she does the Undertaker meme. Yeah, say it, say it. I want to hear it. Call the ambulance. Oh, but not, but not for me. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it felt like because she, she was straight up dropped. Kopecky ate her plate completely and then launched herself afterwards. And Volring looked really, really demotivated when that happened because you kind of want to feel demotivated when st stuff like that happens. But like you said, she crawls back and she, she gives a brutal attack on that hill. And she does that passing the group that she's bridging towards Kopecky relatively easily gets on her wheel, won't lie about that. So I wasn't necessarily seeing that attack as a danger towards Kopecky in that moment at all, but some other riders are getting in trouble, and I feel like Utrup Ludwig was looking good at this point. Royster, these hills aren't her favorite, so I feel like, yes, we might have waited for a Royster attack at some point, but I think the hills might have prevented her from attacking after these climbs to begin with. So I think that's the reason that we didn't see the all-out Royster attack either, and I do feel like in the last 50 kilometers that we've discussed so far, we've seen a lot of SD work civil war going on, as in they straight up rode for their country. I can't point to a specific moment where a rider from SD works was riding for the other rider clearly. Like, to me it felt like they were all riding for their country, not for the trade teams, which I like seeing in the World Championships, and sometimes you don't see that in the men's side, but here they were clearly doing that, in my opinion. So and... just like normal when they're on their trade team. <laughs> what, cha what changed? <laughs> okay, let's continue the let's continue the explanation here because we're now with what is it eight eight nine kilometers to go in this race, and we're kind of waiting for a move again, right? Because 
we all, all these attacks have kind of come back together. I don't think if I don't think Shabby was still in the picture at this point. I think she was no, the actual victim of the of the move there. But with 7k to go, we get an attack by Cecily through Plutwig, and it was a it was a really good timing, I found. And Dignan's the one that tries to close, but it's once again in that very narrow, twisty moment. And that's when Kopecky makes a big move towards Utrupludwig, right? Kopecky attacks again. It's not that steep a climb, gets good separation, and this looks like the one. There's not much time to claw her back at all. And also the final run in the final 2Ks, that downhill is very fast and technical. You're not going to gain much time back following on someone like Kopecky. And yeah, Kopecky gets to Ludwig. They are there together. Volering looks gone again. She is gone this time. She's with Reusser. Those two are sort of working together. Schweinberger and uh, Dignan are out of the picture. And Kopecky and Ludwig, they get into the next little climb. Well, before then, and Ludwig goes to the front and she yep. starts working. Or does one pull. Maybe she just wants to en enter the climb in front. She then attacks Kopecky on the climb the last major climb and oh no the second last major climb and Kopecky just straight up counters her and drops her so I was kind of surprised to see her doing that I was I thought I mean yes and no like she's probably thinking well I can't go to the sprint with her if I want to win so I need yeah. to drop her uh, but then maybe she could wait longer and then Kopecky I don't know so she tried Kopecky was way too strong she drops her she goes clear she descends safely and she rides away to win uh, the World Championships for Belgium and for herself with a good team performance from the team they brought, getting in the early breakaway and Kakira doing all that domestique work. Kopecky managed the Netherlands and the other group pretty well. She knew where she was strongest and she was the strongest. She was the favourite and she delivered, which is a hard thing to do in a big race like this and wins seven seconds ahead of Vollering, who actually just caught Ludwig on the line and Ludwig came third for the bronze medal. Royce fourth, Schweinberger fifth after a third in the road race. Revelation of this world champs. Dagnan sixth, Shabby seventh. Van Vleuten after the mech was kind of out of it. She came eighth. Then Marcus, so three Netherlands in the top 10. Uh, Garcia tenth. And Blankovash in 11th takes the U23 title uh, after being in the early breakaway as well. What a race, man. Honestly, this is one of those races where... I felt like from start to finish, I, I wasn't bored for a second. Like, even with the breakaway formation stuff, the breakaway being caught at some point, there was no real moment where I was like super bored or anything. So the circuit is really delivering in that sense. But Kopecky, what has she won this year already? She's won quite a bit of races and it started early on with the likes of Omelope. Then Nokura Kurtz, not the biggest races yet. Omelope is well through this year, but I still don't qualify that. The likes of Ronde van Vlaanderen, for example, which she also won this year. She ended up not winning Roubaix, which I think she was straight up the favorite for. I still believe that is the worst kind of bolt the break formation there. And that's how they ended up losing that with Kopecky. But she kept up the winning ways in, most importantly, the Tour de France femme. As in, she won the first stage, yellow jersey, green jersey afterwards, very close positions. She could have won more stages there than she won. But now the World Championships added on to that. And it's a one to first D works again. <laughs> Uh, I know, and it could have been. They could take the U23 title as well, and yeah. Royce nearly came third. She was fourth, so not a bad day for SD Works. Maybe it was because Kopecky won on the SL7S Works tarmac, so Specialized just a big announcement last week was 
they released obviously not a plug because yeah they just released a new sl8 and apparently it's like a million times quicker and it's the best bike ever but volering was on the new sl8 according to the images uh, eagle eye luke saw and Capecchi's on the old only good for landfill sl7 and she somehow won worlds so <laughs> Uh, is that i don't know what the marketing message is from that um maybe if i'm on the sl8 i could win but <laughs> yeah that was funny uh kind of a nerdy thing but yeah Quebec is just too good like it is yeah. she's the best one day rider in the world has been this year like what'd she win tour of flanders as you said should have won roubaix omelope yeah just the best classics rider and you still have to deliver it you still have to avoid trouble yeah and um, Netherlands, I thought, rode a good race too. Actually, one of their yep. best races they've put together. I thought they rode a really good race. So it's not like Netherlands just had a major fuck-up and handed it to Kopecky either. Um, and Switzerland was super strong as a, as a secondary team too. It was a shame without Nervia Doma. I would have loved to have seen Poland with... I think they would have been more likely to see trade team shenanigans yeah. with the Canyon Riders. I don't think Nivea Doma is going to pull behind Shabby. Okay. Interesting. I, don't I enjoy that take. We'll never know, I'm afraid. Maybe next year we can, we can see it on the next World Championship. Tactically, she but... probably shouldn't, like with Kopecky in the group. Yeah, exactly. And that's also the thing with these other riders, like Schweinberger, for example, she actually worked quite a bit in that group, even though she shouldn't necessarily work all the time in that group either. She's one of those riders that really performed really well, and she's one of those solo riders in a in a group, so I really believe that this parkour was so was technical, but also so attritional that the strongest riders straight up ended ended flowing towards the top of the of the leaderboard. And we see that in both the men's race and the women's race, where you can have a, a good team. Belgium in the men's race had the strongest team on paper. Netherlands didn't have a shit team there. When it when it comes to this team right here. Belgium's team was good enough to try and control some moves into the last 30 kilometers with Hikieta, which is golden value. But it's also not the team on paper that is Netherlands is. But with the team as Netherlands, the only thing you can do is try and roll attacks. And they did do that. They tried to move with Marcus, with Van Vleuten, with, with multiple riders, Bredewold in the early breakaway. So they did try to get ahead of things. Is there anything you see that they could have done differently to keep Kopecky behind well I mean I don't know getting the early there's, breakaway with a stronger rider but then there's only yeah. the one move the one move that Hekiera stopped where two Swiss riders were there and two Dutch riders were there Marcus and I don't remember who the other one was that's the only move I see that maybe if they collaborated better that he could have stayed away because only Hekiera was pacing that down and on paper seven riders should be able to out outpace Hikiera. So that's the only part of this race where I'm like, they could have done better there. Yeah, I think it's tough because in the end, those riders get completely cooked and like lose, yeah. you know, <laughs> lose a lot of time and, you know, 10 minutes. So with these circuits, it's almost like Kopecky's so good. She can, I, unless they're on the level of Shabby, who's a top sort of Arden rider. Yeah. Like she came fifth in Liège and she still got caught by Kopecky attacking all the time. And Kopecky then put a minute and a half into her. So, yeah, Kopecky's just too good. That's sometimes the way it is. And yes. uh, doesn't mean she wins every race, like Tour of Flanders or Strada Bianca when Volering out sprinted her at the finish. Um, Tour of Flanders? 
Roubaix, Roubaix. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Slightly different race. <laughs> Almost um, got a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, same cobbles. Um, apparently, get out of here. Apparently, these aren't cobbles. So River told me these these are not cobbles. They're called sets, I think, because they're cobbles is just a random stone your man finds that looks roughly the right shape, and he just puts it in the ground. That's a cobble, apparently. A Welcome set to is Flanders. like, uh, yeah, a set is a stone that's like the right dimensions, and it's all neatly put together, so it's not as rough and bad. So they are not cobbles. You are correct. Um, they are measly sets, and I don't know if the Romans put them there. Perhaps they did. Um, <laughs> the Romans knows? with the sets, you know, instead of the cobbles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, well, no, champs no. is over, Benji. How does it feel? I can't believe it. You are a Belgian world champion in both the men's elite TT, women's road race. Belgian I don't think we can good. complain. Yeah. And Van der Poel's basically Belgian anyway, so I'm claiming that as well. That's controversial. <laughs> yeah. And... What else in the women's TT who won that? Diget won that. Yeah, as you said, it was a shame not to see her line up. I don't think. I don't think she would have been suited to this course uh, at all with the handling. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, that's my quick fire recap. Who won the uh, the men's TT? Remco and then Van der Poel, you already <laughs> said. the men's TT? Well, it's like a week. Here. It's so different. What, what do you think of that? that? That reminds me because I forgot. What do you think of the, the format? The order is so annoying. As in, like this. So I reckon having the men's race before the time trial... It's good for the time trial because people won't skip the time trial for the men's race. The problem is that Ganadan skips the road race for the time trial. But on the opposite end, there might be some riders. The yeah, mixed but relay he's is half annoying. a road rider half the year. The mixed relay should be the last thing so that people don't risk yeah. anything before their big goal. Just put that at the end. If you want to have it, put it at the end. Nobody else really cares about it anyway. There's like two, three countries that care about it. So just put it at the end so that they can have their fun. The rest of us just want to see the best riders in the road race and in the time trial, both men and women in those races. It's annoying to me that one road race is before the time trials and the other one is after the time trials. That is annoying, but I guess that's a consequence of the Tour de France from being so close to the World Championships that they put the road race of the women at the end. But um, I don't know. I don't... Um, yes, it, I, saw, it must I saw a few... It must affect spectators, right? Because if you want to go for to see both road races, that's very expensive. If you're traveling yep. from Europe, if you want to stay for the full amount of time, and maybe maybe it's the domestic crowd is is great because they can have it over two weekends. I don't know. TV wise, I think for a regular viewer, like we need to like work around the sport as well. So we skip a few disciplines as a consequence because we can't cover it all. But like if you're a regular viewer with like a week off, you can watch every single discipline in a row, and you get to know more disciplines like. Oh, that, yeah. that, that bloody discipline with the German and the Swiss cyclists playing football on bicycles. That's pretty I didn't know sick, that man. existed until, yeah. until this week. Really? No, I didn't That's know pretty, that existed. No, that one's good. <laughs> That's fucking glorious. Probably a more serious <laughs> event than the mockery the UCI tried to make of the cross-country mountain bike. Um, <laughs> That's a long were. discussion, my friend. Well, not really. It's a short discussion. They wanted Van der Poel to win or podium, yeah. Yeah. so they changed the rules the day before. So he could move up on the, you start in, in grids or whatever, or yep. in the grid. It's like qualifying position in F1. The better you position you start, the better for you in the race. I've got you a get, solution. You, you get your grid position from previous events. He had no, so he should have started the back. Pitcock did a few events, so he should have started seventh row or something. Um, Pitcock came out in solidarity uh, with 
the other riders who had got the qualification points after he won the world championships. Um, <laughs> after he benefited from the rule, he came out to say that. <laughs> yeah. It's still good that he says it, but he could have done it before the race and he, he could have in solidarity started from the seven row as well, to be honest. I would have loved seeing if he could win from that position. He would have still won. He's too good. <laughs> yeah, but he, he probably is. But I, I will say, how about looking at F1, why don't they do like a, a qualifying time trial across that course to qualify your grid That should be the position. short track. The short track. I have track. no clue what short track means. <laughs> that, it's the, it's the one Gaze one. The, short, the shorter track. It's a shorter track. <laughs> really? No it's, shit. Yeah, it's a short track. I, listen, I just watched my first mountain bike events this week. I'm learning fast. You ready for You're the mountain expert. bike podcast? Yeah, exactly. I'm an expert. I just saw Vanderpool crash out. That's the only thing I saw from this. That's race what I know. My analysis is that he should probably stop doing that event if he wants to not injure himself. <laughs> he crashed in the first corner just about. He's lucky he didn't, he didn't seem to hurt himself too badly, but the crash in Tokyo seemed to take him out for a while. But anyway, yeah, the World Championships, it was good. I, I think there's a lot of talk about the, the circuit being very dangerous. It ended up in the road race. Crashes were few and far between. Now, maybe if it had rained heavily, it would have been carnage. Yeah. Could have been, but it didn't. Uh, I don't think this, I don't rem think there were any more crashes than I would normally expect across the road races. Frankly, um, yeah. it was and... not outrageous either. I feel like it made for a good entertainment, and it was the kind of circuit they won't have this every single year. So having it no. once every like five to ten years, where there's a circuit like this, where you have a circuit that truly makes the best rider win. I like that. Yeah, I think it, it tests handling, it tests punch, it, it tests descending, technical skills. It just, yeah, I think it was a pretty good circuit in both races. All races were pretty exciting. There was definitely heavy Group 2 dynamics, particularly in the men's under-23 road race. That last couple laps were virtually unwatchable. Um, yeah. That was really bad, but, um, yeah, I think, you know... It, would you like to see a pure sprinters course? Like, in fairness to the sprinters, yes. But One would year, it be yeah, as exciting as, as this? No. No. Unless there's crosswind action. So then you've got to have it in the Middle East. Which, which for the money of the sport, they probably would enjoy the UCI. You know, Aren't so, they doing it? Yeah. In two years? Abu Dhabi, maybe. In like, I don't know. Um, or you have, but they like having these punchy courses where all the superstars can uh, can participate and potentially win. And it's actually the pure climbers uh, since Tokyo and maybe Bergen don't get much of a look in. Uh, but what is a pure climber when Pogaccio is Pogaccio, you know? Anyway, yeah, that was World Championships. Very strange for it to be done in August. We have the Vuelta Burgos starting this week. Enric Maas is not doing it, but Roglic, I believe, uh, is on the provisional start list on PCS. Ooh. So... That's a decent enough race. We've got Lagunas Denaya, the hilltop, well, mountaintop finish, uh, the solitary one in that race. Also Caruso and Buitrago there. Not the strongest the start list. Race. Maybe. Uh, I don't know who's doing it for UAE. They'll probably send a pretty good team. They normally do. Yep. But that's the tune-up for the Vuelta. We'll have the Vuelta preview next later before we go to Barcelona. And we're going to try and interview a few riders uh, in the upcoming week, maybe even a special guest, but no Ooh. promises. Yeah, bit of a teaser there. I, and I don't have to wear this hat anymore. No, 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 no. You, you have to. Sorry. It's for the... If someone becomes world champion, they have to wear the jersey the entire year, so you're forced to wear that hat <laughs> for an entire year. It's so hot. It's actually really, really hot. I'm going to wear it in winter, actually. It'll be useful. 
Um, but anyway, <laughs> thanks for listening throughout our World Championships coverage. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you maybe with some interviews this week. Until then, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 